So it was a voice that first suggested to me that I should be a therapist. And just to reassure you, I was not psychotic at the time that I heard this voice. I was actually lying on a bed in a dorm room on a campus in Western Massachusetts in the Berkshires, and I was attending a month-long Shakespeare Actors Training Intensive. And the reason why I was there is that I had been a theater geek since high school. It had been my sanctuary all through the painful awkwardness of high school and the painful awkwardness and kind of mindless pleasures of college. And, um, and I was trying to figure out whether I wanted theater to be my profession. And I was riddled with self-consciousness, so it was very hard for me to get up in front of people. But um, I, uh, there was something in me that just that was really curious about acting and wanted to act. So I thought, well, what better way to figure that out than to stick myself in a month-long thing in the woods where I have no choice but to learn it and learn Shakespeare, which is really fucking hard. <laughs> and uh, I had these amazing teachers. They were these stage actors who were incredibly gifted and well-trained. And I like to think of Shakespeare as sort of like the marathoning of stage performance. These were really impressive people. And what they said was, you know, if there's anything else in the world that you can do other than acting, you should do it. <laughs> because it's really fucking hard. And, um, and I, what I realized over the course of that month was that I, um, I did not want to be in theater. I didn't want it enough. I wasn't hungry enough. And um, I, didn't, I wasn't willing to go through the struggles that are necessary in order to be a successful actor. And of course, by successful, I don't mean that you're famous and you make money. I mean that you get work consistently, um, poorly paid work. Um, and so I also knew that I was, you know, I was on this process of self-discovery. I was trying to kind of find my way. And so there I am on the bed, staring at the ceiling, contemplating this. And from out of nowhere comes this voice, and the voice says, you should be a psychologist. And I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? I never had that thought before. And, um, and it was such a lucid, clear voice, I was like, well, I have to listen to it. And so when I got back to Portland, I started researching, like, how do you become a therapist? And I was in therapy myself at the time, and, and I found the whole process, you know, really interesting. And of course, you know, really, if you're going to be a therapist, you got to go to grad school. And um, some kind of grad school. And so I was trying to figure out, like, do I want to get a master's degree or do I want to get a doctorate? And I thought, well, if I'm going to be spelunking around in people's brains, I want to be an expert. I want to know everything, and the only way to know everything is to be a doctor. <laughs> so clearly, I was going to go for my doctorate. Um, and I guess, you know, I had this idea that, you know, I'll be an expert and I'll know everything, and people will come to me, and they'll need help, and I will know what I need to know, whatever that is, and I will wear amazing these, you know, outfits. <laughs> I will have a clipboard, maybe glasses, even though I see fine without them. Um, and somehow, you know, I would be transformed. So I apply to a doctor program, I get in, I go, 
Seven fucking years later, I graduate. <laughs> and I am exhausted. And I'm also $200,000 in debt. And, uh, and I thought I was done. And of course, I thought, like, you know, once I've graduated and I've defended my dissertation and they say, congratulations, Dr. Starr, some magical infusion of expertness is going to, like, come into me. And then I'll be like, whoa, doctor. And um, that didn't happen. I was still the same person, pretty much. I mean, you know, you change over time. And I've been in therapy all through. And I was still doing my self-discovery shit and whatever. But I was still, <laughs> I was still the same person. And I was terrified because now I'm a doctor. And people are going to come to me and they're going to expect me to know shit. And I don't know what I know. I don't know really and I don't want to hear anyone tell me anything. <laughs> I, want, I want to go have drinks with my friends. I want to go on a vacation. I want to sleep. I want to read books that aren't talking about neurotic shit. So, um, so there's this huge disappointment. And also, quite honestly, I was terrified because... All this expectation had just poof vanished. Plus, I owed all this debt, and I didn't have a I, I didn't have a job. And what I found was that um, insurance companies would not pay for my services until I was licensed. In order to get licensed, I had another two years. I didn't know this at the time of residency, and uh, I had to find a way to get hours. And I'm like, well, how do I get hours if I don't get paid? But how da, 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 da. it was terrifying. And so the two hundred thousand became two hundred ten and two hundred twenty. 30, and by the time my residency was done, after two years, I owed $250,000. And, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and, um, and I was also, you know, I was just, I, I was exhausted, I was depressed, I was isolating myself, I was filled with shame, I felt like there was something about me that was wrong. The people around me seemed to know what they were doing, and they were specializing, and they were, you know, doing doctory shit or whatever. <laughs> and so I got very depressed, and I, um, I started to just slide downhill very slowly, kind of fall apart. And this happened over about a year. And I wouldn't get out of bed. I wouldn't want to talk to people. I felt like I had this toxic ooze sort of all over me that everyone could, like, smell and see. And they would, it would just, they didn't want to have anything to do with me. I just, I felt very alone. So I'm, one day I'm driving from the east side of Portland to the west side. I'm driving on 5 South. And I'm driving along the water. And it's one of those, you know, early spring days in Portland where the sun comes out for five minutes. Your body goes into shock. And it's like, <laughs> and so the water is turned from this kind of brownish gray to a bluish, greenish, brownish gray. <laughs> going up the curve and all of a sudden my arms just want to keep turning and this voice in my head says you know you could drive off the bridge right now and kill yourself and then it would all be over and I was like what the fuck where did that come from but I also have to admit to you that I have been marinating in my own misery juices for quite a while and I was pretty shut down so I had that moment but then I was like whatever, you know, I just kind of kept muddling along. And I think I assumed that that voice would go away, but it didn't. It kept coming back, and the thoughts kept coming back, and over the weeks and months, 
um, I started thinking about it more, and I was like, well, you know, I don't want to do anything bloody, so no shooting myself, no razors, um, maybe pills, uh, I don't want to do the car in the garage thing, what I really want to do, what drew me was the water, and I kept, whenever I would go over a bridge, I would have to kind of lighten up on my way across, because I was afraid I was going to drive off. And then I would imagine it, like, you know, there goes my truck in the water, it fills, I'm drowning, I become terrified, I terrify myself, I'm like, no, 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 no. But at the same time, there's this idea in my head that, you know, if I do that, then all the pain is gonna go away. And I'll be, I'll be all right, of course I'd be dead, but you know. <laughs> and so this, on top of the fact that I had expected to be this expert, this doctor, not only was I not an expert, now I'm fucking suicidal. <laughs> I was filled with shame, and I kept this to myself for a couple months until one day I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone, my friend Allison, who I'd also gone to grad school with, and I just blurted out of the blue. I said, um, I have been thinking about killing myself. And there was this pause, and then she said, well, I'm not going to let you do that. And she said, you know, Amanda, you're going to get through this. We'll figure this out. You're going to be okay. And I could feel her love for me over the phone. And I felt like after all that time of treading water and fighting to stay on the surface that my toes had just touched the bottom a little bit. And so I told my husband. And he was really wonderful and loving and supportive. And he's like, okay, we got to figure out a plan. And part of that plan was, I needed to get another fucking job. <laughs> so, and I knew where I could get a job as a resident, because I'm not licensed yet still. And it was a place that one of my best friends had been working at for six years. I knew all about it. And it was a place that its main specialty was working with people who are chronically suicidal. Yeah. So, um, and I knew that it was very stressful. I knew that, um, you know, you're on call 24-7. People can page you when they're in crisis, and then you help talk them through the moments so they don't actually kill themselves or hurt themselves or whatever. Um, and, you know, the idea of this job had terrified me, and I, so I had avoided it really rigorously, but at this point I couldn't, it was, seemed like the best option. I also knew that the training would be really good for me, and I was hoping like, okay, I'm going to get seasoned, and I'll become an expert. Um, so I applied for a job, and uh, I got it, and I started, and I started learning. Even though, you know, I'd learned about suicide in school, what I learned was how do you assess how much at risk someone is? And then how do you do the paperwork to save your ass in case they kill themselves? <laughs> and you're, you get sued, and your practice gets lost. You know, it's, it's not the best way to approach it. So um, I started to understand like why people get suicidal, like what happens, and there are you know different reasons. Um, and it helped me put together what my own process had been, and how I got to where I got. And you know, some of the things that I learned were. Basic tools, like how do you take care of yourself? How do you get yourself through those moments where you want to do something that, you know, in the long run is just, is really going to fuck you over or kill you or whatever, mm -hmm. um, without making it worse? And I started using those myself, because God knows I needed them. And um, 
the thing is, you know, I still don't feel like an expert <laughs> at all. I feel like I'm on my baby colt legs. And um, I have people coming in who are in crisis and are just very emotionally just, you know, their skin is so thin. They just feel everything so intensely. And so there's just this intensity and it felt like desperation and crisis coming at me. And then here I am like, I'm an expert. I know I'm not an expert. And it, it's just, it's not a very comfortable fit. So I was anxious all the time. And I would drive into the parking lot of the office building in the morning and I would be paralyzed. I couldn't get on my fucking truck. And so I would have to use the breathing that I was teaching my clients. Breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. Feel the air fill the core of the body. And then release it and let the tension go. And I would do that until I had unfrozen enough to unlock my car and get out, walk into the building, take the elevator to the top floor, walk in and say, OK, I'm here to work. Awesome. <laughs> And uh, that's what I did. So one of the people that I ended up working with, she was one of the first clients I had. Uh, when I met her, we just clicked. There was just something, it's like when you meet anyone. You just know when you, you just, it's just like a soul meeting, I don't know. And um, she was really funny and really blunt and really in a lot of pain and not very interested in hiding it at all kind of like, fuck you, <laughs> I'm in a lot of pain and fuck you. And um, I, I dug that about her because here I am like trying to be an expert and I wasn't feeling like one, it wasn't working very well for me. And um, we just, we worked really well together and she had had a really hard life and had a, a lot of really awful things happen to her and at times she really wanted to die. And at one point she did try to kill herself and she almost succeeded, she was in the ICU for a week, she almost died. And when she recovered, she came out of the hospital, she came back in and we met and we talked about what happened and how, what led to her trying to take her life. And then we had, there's this pause. And she looks me in the eye and she says, you know what this is like, don't you? And I was like, fuck, <laughs> I've been found out. How did she know? But at that point too, it felt like an invitation to just let all that expert bullshit go. And so I said, I looked back at her and I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I do know what it's like. I'm like, I don't want to insult you by saying I know exactly what your experience is like, but yeah, I can, I get it, I understand. And we looked at each other and just held each other's gaze and little tears kind of woo, came down our faces and we had little smiles at the same time. And I realized that she had given me a gift. She had given me the permission to just be a person. And to be a person, you know, who knew stuff, because God knows I've been to a lot of fucking school. <laughs> <laughs> but who also could just be a person. And that was what she needed. She just needed to know that I got her. And to feel that connection the same way I did on the phone with my friend and with my husband. And, and then it also made me realize, like, if I had not been through all that year and a half, two years of misery and pain and hopelessness and wanting to die and trying to dig my way out, I would not have had that moment. She would have known that I didn't get it. She wouldn't have trusted me. And, and then I realized, okay, this is all right. This is going to be okay. And I'm going to be a person who knows some stuff. Because I, like I said, the school thing, I don't have time. 
And um, I'm also going to work with people, and they are going to know themselves, and we're going to work together, and we're going to figure it out. And it's, you know, it's going to be okay most of the time. And so now, um, really, the only time I use the term doctor is when I'm talking to insurance companies or when I'm trying to buy a car. <laughs>